It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan, celebrating 10 years on air, making the show Ireland's longest running food and drink radio show and podcast. And on tonight's show, I'll be talking to Dervla McCabe from Enterprise Ireland, Steve Guiney from the original Seven Beverage Company, but first up, it's Andrew Shinnock from Blackwater Honey. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Andrew, lovely to have you back on the programme and you're actually talking to me today from Syria and the reason that you're on the the programme tonight is to talk about black water honey. You're not beekeeping over in Syria, are you? No, currently I'm uh, an army officer with the Irish Defence Forces and have been for the last 26 years and I'm currently serving overseas in Syria with the United Nations True Supervision Organisation, UNSO. Uh, which provides unarmed military observers in five different countries in the Middle East. So that covers uh, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Israel and Lebanon. So I'm uh, currently stationed in Syria, have been for the last 13 months. And my current role here is a staff officer within the headquarters of the observer group Golan. So we look after the entire area of the Golan boat um on the Israeli-occupied side and on the Bravo side or the Syrian side. So I'm currently deployed in Syria and uh, kind of look after kind of more or less the plans uh, role of the headquarter element. And meanwhile, back home in County Cork, you have a number of hives and you're the producer of the award-winning Blackwater Honey. Yeah, so... Uh, there's two halves to Blackwater Honey. Um, there's both myself and my brother John, who's uh, currently at home minding my bees while I'm sitting here in sunny Syria. So we each have about um, anywhere between 20 and 30 hives uh, each during the summer. Obviously, that number goes up with uh, the summer and uh, splitting the hives um, due to warming, etc. Um, so we managed them at home on our farm. Uh, I was in Dublin for a while, so I had some of my bees there. But then I suppose when I got news that I was being deployed to the Middle East, then I basically get, handed them over to John for him to kind of look after mine while we're away. And then we produce, um, I suppose, low uh, local uh, raw Irish honey. So it's unprocessed, basically. We just take it from the hive, extract it and jar it and um, have been quite lucky in the last few years. We've won quite a number of awards from the Great Taste in the UK, winning a star in each of the years from uh, our inception in 2020. And then we won a gold medal with Blossom Heron for one of our honeys, a soft set honey. And we were also finalists with another one that year as well in 2021. Um, we also won the Irish Maid Awards, the food category, and we are also a, a treble gold winner for our Irish Heather Honey in the Irish Food and Quality Drinks Awards. And uh, that was recently just announced on Wednesday, last Wednesday, when we won the gold for the third year in a row. So very happy and proud of our honey. 
Well, congratulations on all of that. Um, whenever you say you handed over the hives to your brother, did he phys- did you did they were they physically moved from Dublin down to Cork or what did that actually involve? Yeah, so you're you're dead right. So physically we have to go in at nighttime uh, when all the bees are uh, after coming back out from foraging. So they're all inside in the hive at nighttime and then we basically shut them in, lock them up, strap them down and then physically load the hives into the back of a car or van. And then we bring them the three hour journey back down to Cork, set them up again during the night because uh, next morning they'll want to fly out again. And uh, we put them up on the stands, the hive stands where they are going to be. And then we open the door again for them or the little hive entrance. And then the next morning they will fly out. They will obviously be a bit disorientated. So they kind of um, start doing circular flights around the hive to orientate themselves to where the sun is. And once they have their bearings and landmarks, then they'll off they'll go uh, in their new spot and find their way back again. So the bees kind of like uh, have to kind of reset themselves to where the sun is in relation to their hive and then they can figure out how to get back again. And does that impact on the flavour? So whenever they were in Dublin, what they might have been enjoying in terms of the the flora and fauna up there, is it different to down in the Blackwater Valley? Absolutely, yeah. So... As you know, when uh, bees forage on the different types of flowers, uh, they're going to be bringing back various pollens and nectars back to the hive. So your honey in Dublin would obviously have a lot more gardens with a lot more exotic plants growing in them uh, compared to the Irish countryside. So, for example, the honey that uh, I would normally produce in Dublin would be slightly darker in colour and uh, have a slightly stronger flavour and taste compared to the flavour of the honey, uh, which would be kind of produced in the Irish countryside down and from my along the River Blackwater. Um, so you would definitely see that if you were to hold the two jars up against the light, one would be really kind of um, yellow and kind of clear. And the other one from Dublin then is kind of a more dark amber, uh, almost kind of like uh, yeah, dark amber colour or red and uh, slightly stronger taste. You could definitely taste it on the palate. Like, uh, and, but it's because of the different flowers. You know, people have different plants from different countries in their gardens. So, of course, they're going to be bringing that back in and it's definitely going to have a major influence on it. Um, the honey that would be produced in the Blackwater Valley would be predominantly a lot of clover and dandelion, horse chestnut, and lime in the trees and then you'd have like Himalayan balsam and stuff then later on in the year along the river Blackwater which they get so a completely different mixture and a lot lighter honey and I would say possibly uh, slightly sweeter tasting because the the one in Dublin would have a kind of like a sharp tang to the end of it when it's left on your palate you know so I like both but a lot of people produce uh, sorry a lot of people um, prefer the uh, the more sweeter tasting one, which we have, you know, in the in the black water. So when you bring the honey to market, do you distinguish between mm-hmm. the different flavors? Like I suppose wines coming from a, a certain um, chateau, like there's a year attributed to them or a different grape variety obviously produces a different flavor of wine. So whenever you're packaging and marketing the, the honey, what way do you do that? 
So the way we do it, we just have the one label for the honey, but uh, we, we we would sell it in different batches. And I try to tend to keep the kind of the Dublin honey, which I I wouldn't have had a, a lot of Dublin honey, like because I again it was kind of like reducing my numbers up there, be, given that there was other beekeepers in Dublin as well, and there's only so much forage uh, for, for all the bees to go around to anyway. Uh, and you don't want to be impacting the local pollinators. But what we would normally do is I would kind of keep that for anybody then and kind of basically advertise it or sell it in Dublin. And it would have like a batch code, which I can trace the jars back to it being the Dublin honey. But the, the label, if they were both on the shelf together, they would look exactly the similar apart from the color, basically. But a lot of people, obviously, in Dublin, then would be contacting me for the local honey because, again, it's just to help build up their kind of resistance to the hay fever coming up to the summer, you know. And obviously the weather can have an influence um, into how successful a hive might be. So like we've had very, like we'd, we the start of the summer was great, then it was really not great, and then we've had an amazing week. Um, at the start of September, what way does that impact on the volume of honey that is produced? So exactly, just as you as you mentioned and rightly mentioned, this this uh the start of the summer, the spring into the early summer were absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, there was a load of forage for the bees, and they brought in a lot of honey. And like we've seen this with uh, the beekeepers in the United Kingdom and Wales as well, all commenting on like a like almost like a bumper spring harvest. Um, so the bees can forage on a lot of plants in early spring. And generally, a lot of the plants will stop flowering um, around the end of May. So all your trees and a lot of your flowers and fruits, trees will have flowered by the you know end of April into early May. And then we get this thing called the June gap in where there is not a lot of flowers producing a lot of nectar. So, again, that is something that the beekeepers kind of manage. Some beekeepers would take the spring honey away in kind of early June, but then you run the risk then of them starving in June if you take it all away. We tend to put the, the supers or the, the boxes above the, the main brood box where the bees are in. Uh, and leave them on for the entirety of the summer. So that way, then you don't have to feed them in June if you did take the honey away. Uh, so we leave that to them uh, because you run the risk that they could starve in June. And what happened this year, uh, unlike previous years, you got seven weeks of nearly constant rain uh, where uh, the bees basically were stuck in the hives for a lot of the time eating the honey that they had brought in in spring. Uh, and that resulted in in a drop in productivity overall this year then. So in some parts of the country, they were reporting between uh, a third and almost 50% of a drop in production uh, this year because of that seven weeks of bad weather. Um, but things, like you said, have picked up now again. Uh, the plants are producing uh, nectar again in, in certain varieties, uh, of flowers and you have the likes of the ivy honey now starting or the ivy plants starting to to produce nectar which will make ivy honey for them which is kind of almost like that the last uh, opportunity that the bees have to, to bring in honey uh, for themselves for the winter so again uh, like 
probably between a 33 and a 50% drop, depending on where you are in the country. So, some con some parts of the country fare better than others because of the weather. Again, like the West Coast were lashed out of it with rain and some somewhere in around Dublin and Wicklow and down along the uh, East Coast didn't get half as much rain. So the bees were able to still go out and forage, you know. Can it be too hot for them? Like, could you have hives over there in Syria if you wanted to? Yeah, so like, I mean, it can get too hot for, for the bees. And then they, you will see them clustering outside the hive, basically, uh, to reduce the numbers that are inside, but also to fan air into the hive uh, in order to keep them cool. So the bees can cope quite well with, with changes of heat, uh, if they're gradual, uh, if if it's too like if it has two extremes or it goes up too quickly, well then that can cat catch them out by surprise. But they can uh, regulate the the hive temperature like in around thirty seven degrees, thirty eight degrees is kind of the internal temperature of the hive at any given time uh, when they're in there. Uh, there is beehives here in Syria. Um, I'm not uh, keeping any bees myself. I could, but then you see they're talking like a, almost like a, a thousand people um, in the mission. There's probably several hundred people in the camp where I'm living to keep bees in an area here. Uh, it just wouldn't be practical. If you had somewhere outside, it, 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 it would be, but then you run the risk that you know a lot of the area around here in Syria is has not been properly demined and um, you're under risk of oxos uh, unexploded ordnance and shells you know being around in the countryside unfortunately like you know you get reports every day with shepherds and civilians getting injured for stepping on uh, a landmine or unexploded ordnance so you just basically can't stray off the, any of the marked or cleared routes here you know um but they are producing honey, um, so down um, around the countryside you will see the beehives that were pretty much just on the side of the roads, and then there's a large wadi or a, a valley uh, which a river has carved out in the past, but a lot of the beehives tend to be down there, and you would see like hundreds of them and you know three or four guys in a truck all suited up in 40 degree weather. Uh, we're losing some. Uh, we're lo yeah, the internet's back again. It's a bit unstable here. The internet, sorry, but yeah. um, you know, you we would see uh, we would see the beekeepers in the in the middle of the day trying to check on their hives, you know. Um, but the honey here is, uh, I would say, is very organic, like because they don't use a lot of uh, pesticides and sprays around here. So um, we've I bought some of the local honey and. Uh, Again, it's quite dark, but, you know, a lot of the uh, countryside gets very burnt with the heat. So the bees have, like, I would say, quite a short season, um, you know, end of February, the, the flowers start blooming because after the winter, then you start getting the heat and it slowly starts gradually building up until the end of April. And then it gets almost too hot. And then what happens is, the place just literally turns from green to yellow and a lot of the plants then just uh, I don't think produce a lot of nectar because of it. Uh, some perhaps um, like they have a lot of eucalyptus trees here you'll see growing from time to time that seems to cope quite well and produces um, nectar for the bees but you don't see a lot of them flying around uh, to be honest because a lot of the plants are pretty much have you know have finished flowering so it's quite a short season here.
And do you miss it? Because I, although it started out as a hobby um, whenever you were at home, it is like it is a business now for you and your brother. But from that hobby perspective, it must be something that you really enjoyed doing in your downtime. Absolutely, yeah. So, like, I mean, uh, I kind of took it up after I got injured uh, in triathlon uh, back in 2017. So we had kind of been doing it when we were younger uh, with our uncles. But I suppose it was only as I got older that we kind of started to kind of get back into it and kind of set it up as a business and a brand in kind of like uh, 2019 going into 2020 with COVID and stuff. And that's when myself and my brother, John, we said we'd make a go of it and we'd kind of come up with a brand and we've been working at it since then. But like, I do miss it, like, because, you know, uh, that's what used to take up my evenings or weekends during the summer. And then when you are looking on Facebook and you see the beekeepers running around in summertime collecting the swarms, uh, you kind of miss that because it's like the chase uh, for the beekeepers tr trying to get all these uh, hives that have swarmed back into boxes and stuff around the country. So I kind of miss that because that used to be a bit of excitement being on the end of a phone and being told there's a swarm here in this housing estate. Will you go and get it like before they go into the roof or something like, you know, so I kind of miss that. But you do miss them. But I kind of um, the way I kind of structured my leave is that I kind of came home. Uh, at the big times when we're kind of required. Um, so like in in early uh, April, I came home for three or four weeks. And that was to basically get the hives ready for the oncoming uh, season for summer. And then I came home then again in August for a couple of weeks. And that was basically take the honey off and get it spun out and get it into buckets um, and then get the treatments on the bees then in order to treat them for varroa mites and um, feed them, start feeding them then for winter, you know. So myself and my brother then would basically kind of look at when are the big times that we, he needs a, a bit more help and then I would fly home to do that, like as well, along with seeing the kids obviously as well. So it must mean then that in terms of the volume that you produce, like there's a limit on how much you can produce. So does that make it very sought after? Yeah, so again, you're you're limited by, I suppose, the season and by the number of hives you have. So anywhere between, say, 50 and 100 pounds of honey per hive, depending on how good they are. So, you know, we sell it in the eight ounce or half pound jars. So if you have 100 pounds, that's 200 jars technically per hive we would be producing. That would keep us going for pretty much most of the season into early next year. And then we start running low on, on stocks again. And then you're hoping then uh, again to get some either early season honey in, in April, May um, and into June. Um, but then if you don't have the quantity, as you all know, then you, you can charge more. And particularly with us, uh, we haven't gone down the route of having a vast amount of hives. Like the more hives you have, the more work you have also, and then the more investment you have to put into it in both terms of money and time as well. Uh, so we've kind of, you know, both kind of said, well, we would stick to more or less a kind of a premium level, try and enter and win a lot of the awards, which we have. And like, that's why we go by the tagline, Ireland's most awarded honey. Uh, in terms of our success with, you know, goals and Blossom Heron and goals in the Irish Food and Quality Drinks Awards. 
that we can basically charge that bit but more than for our jar of honey so any you know it depends on the beekeeper and depends on the region of country where you are obviously people are charging different amounts but we tend to you know charge a fixed price of like 10 euros a jar online and then just give a small discount for our locals in our local shop in for my uh, given that it's it's going in local so we can reduce the price a little bit. But other than that, if we're selling online, like we're nearly always sold out online, Sharon, which is good. And then, you know, we've been lucky as well. We've kind of partnered with the Hayfield uh, Manor Hotel in Cork City as well, which is a five-star hotel. And we supply all of their all of their honey needs, um, you know, each month that they that they look from us. So those kind of partnerships are brilliant. Like, you know, when we have like a five-star hotel coming to us looking for our honey, you know. Fantastic. Well, listen, for anybody that does want to to order um, whenever it is available, where's the best place for them to go to? Well, at the moment, I'm not doing any online purely because it's, uh, how do you say, it's not convenient to run out to the post office here. And my brother, like, was building a house the last while. So, uh, normally we have it available online www.blackwaterhoney.ie however most of the people will be able to source it if they're in the Cork area in Fermoy and Hannah's uh, or um, it's a cafe bistro in Fermoy or Spillane's Butchers and then we have um, Super Value in Glanmire and Cork also taking it as well but the plan is when I'm back from Syria then to, to start releasing it and selling a, a bit more online as well well, listen, great to talk to you, Andrew. Mind yourself out there and sure, we might catch up again next year. Fingers crossed, yes. I would be delighted to come back again. It's always good to meet up and uh, have a chat with yourself. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM.